0: Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast is sponsored by my friends over at ShopC60.com. If you haven't heard of Carbon 60 or otherwise called C60 before, it is a powerful Nobel Prize winning antioxidant that helps to optimize mitochondrial function, fights inflammation, and neutralizes toxic free radicals. I'm a huge fan of using C60 in conjunction with a healthy lifestyle to support your immune system, help your body detox, and increase energy and mental clarity. If you are over the age of 40 and you'd like to kick fatigue and brain fog to the curb this year, visit shopc60.com and use the coupon code JOCKERS for 15% off your first order and start taking back control over your health today. The products I use, I use their C60 in organic, mct coconut oil they have it in various different flavors they also have sugar-free gummies that are made with allulose and monk fruit they also have carbon 60 and organic avocado and extra virgin olive oil when it's combined with these fats it absorbs more effectively and carbon 60 is great as a natural energizing tool because it really helps your mitochondria optimize your energy production Now, if you take it late at night, for some individuals, it may seem a little bit stimulating. So that's why we recommend taking it earlier in the day. And it will give you that great energy, that great, great mental clarity that you want all day long. It will help reduce the effects of oxidative stress and aging and really help you thrive. So again, guys, go to shopc60.com. Use the coupon code JOCKERS to save 15% off your first order and start taking back control your health today welcome back to the podcast i've got a great episode here on how to use intermittent fasting exercise nutrition strategies to optimize brain health and reduce your risk of dementia and alzheimer's my guest is dr heather sanderson and she is a naturopathic doctor who has dedicated her career to supporting those suffering with dementia she has created unique successful solutions for patients and caregivers using clinical residential research and educational platforms, and she hosts the annual Reverse Alzheimer's Z- Summit, which has reached over 80,000 people, and she is excited to shatter common misconceptions about Alzheimer's and share what she has learned about keeping your brain sharp at any age. You can find her at Sandison, com, and she is just a wealth of knowledge. We're going to talk about dementia and Alzheimer's. And natural strategies, things like intermittent fasting, the best nutrition strategies, exercise, sleep—that clinical research has shown can significantly reduce the dementia and Alzheimer's burden in our society. I know you guys are, are are in for a treat here. And if you know anybody that has a family history of Alzheimer's dementia, please share this podcast with them. This information is life changing and life transforming. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being a part of our community. Let's go into the show. Well, Dr. Heather Sanderson, always great to to speak with you. You're doing great work in this space, and uh, excited to talk to you about brain health. Right, we've got an epidemic of neurodegenerative conditions, dementia, Alzheimer's disease. Most of the listeners have been affected by it, whether it was a family member, close friend. They've seen the impact of this, and the frightening thing is that the numbers are not getting better; they're getting worse. And I know you know a lot about that, so. Why do we see such an epidemic of neurodegenerative conditions?
1: Yeah, it's actually really interesting. What's happening in the in, the, in first world countries is that the incidence, so per one hundred people, it's actually declining. There aren't as many people getting dementia mm. now in the third world. That number is going up, and there's lots of reasons why this could be. Um, The Lancet published in 2020, kind of in the right in the middle of the pandemic when nobody was paying attention. There was a new commission report, an updated commission report that listed 13 modifiable risk factors that we can think that we can actually do something about to change our risk of dementia and reduce it. There were things like toxic air pollution that was in there. And so you might imagine that in a third world country, there's probably more pollution than in first world countries these days things like hearing loss, right? It's easy to get to come by hearing aids in a first world country, harder to do in a third world country, right? So we can kind of see how some of these risk factors, we have more control over in a first world country. And so the incidence is going down. Now, to your point though, you're absolutely right that more people than ever are getting dementia and more people than ever know someone with dementia or have been affected by it. And partly that's because in most part I think it's because so much of our population is aging. Right this baby boomer generation is approaching 65 and by 2050 one in four Americans is going to be over 65. Mm-hmm. Now this is frightening for several reasons. I mean it's it's wonderful that there's this great wonderful generation that's getting older. But what's terrifying is that there's not enough young people to take care of them, particularly if they have a very labor intensive condition like dementia or Alzheimer's. And so finding ways that this generation can prevent it and even reverse it is really, really crucial. And the federal government agrees with me completely on that account uh, they are throwing money at this like mad they are looking for ingenious ways and 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 tech you know how can we use technology how can we use ai how can we put uh, it's almost like a, a moonshot, like how can we put resources behind this and find real solutions? And unfortunately, the the federal dollars and the pharma dollars that have gone into this beta amyloid plaque hypothesis and finding a single molecule cure or some way to make this better, that they've failed. There are even these new recent drugs, um, Aduhelm or Aducanumab, Lakenbe, that have been FDA approved, and they don't Im- create any improvement they just slow the rate of progression. And so this is not a very helpful position to be in for us as a society to be approaching this day and age where so many people are going to be elderly and we don't have a pharmaceutical treatment for this that's meaningful in any way.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so obviously you do a lot with nutrition, functional medicine. Mm -hmm. And so what are some of the, the top, just preventative yeah. lifestyle tips, nutrition strategies that people can apply to prevent prevent dementia, and, and perhaps if they've got a family member that has dementia, maybe some things that they can do to help help uh, slow the progression.
1: Yeah. So I use Dr. Bredesen's approach. So Dr. Bredesen wrote the book The End of Alzheimer's in 2017, and both his group and myself, we've both published clinical trials um, in smaller cohorts and 25, 23 participants. That show that when we put these things together and we stack them, so the idea with functional medicine and with Dr. Bredesen's approach is that we're not doing one thing. So yes, nutrition is a component, but we're doing detoxification. We're doing we're using nutrition. We're managing stressors. We're optimizing sleep quality, not just quantity. We're optimizing exercise, and so there. These are the foundational basics, right? These are the lifestyle basics that are so so crucial. And then adi- on addition to that you can do the medicine pieces, right? You can get all the functional medicine testing and that starts to cost more money. But what people can do at home, there's three big things that I recommend that you could start today. One is an organic ketogenic diet with, with some intermittent fasting. Now, I only recommend that, you know, as people get older, sometimes we worry about weight loss. So weight loss is not the goal anymore and that actually can become a, an issue and a risk. So we want to be cautious about that. And I don't inter- recommend intermittent fasting with an organic ketogenic diet if you are at risk of too much weight loss, a frailty. But if not, if you're looking to optimize cognitive function, if you're, if you're younger and maybe you have a family history of dementia and you're looking to prevent it, what I personally do is I get into ketosis for about six weeks, three to four times a year. And the rest of the year, I'm eating a whole, you know, very much a whole foods based diet. I'm not gorging on a bunch of like Skittles, but I'm mm-hmm. eating mostly plants and lots of them in lots of fiber, lots of whole foods. So nothing processed. I don't know if you've um, cut, run into the book, ultra processed people. Mm -hmm. I've been listening to it lately and it is just like a great read that has me very inspired to avoid processed food at all costs. So an organic ketogenic diet is is pretty foundational. And what we see is that people not only get, there's detox um, that happens with this, it's anti-inflammatory, but what we're really looking for is that shift in metabolism. We're looking for that switch that flips from burning glucose, carbohydrates, sugar, glucose, we'll use those interchangeably, burning carbohydrates for fuel to burning fat for fuel as ketones. And that is, is a much more efficient way to metabolize fuel. You get less reactive oxygen species or the, the oxidative stress in the brain, so it burns cleaner. And then as we age, all of us, regardless of our diabetes status, we become less insulin sensitive in the brain, and we don't as efficiently burn carbohydrates and turn it into ATP as we did when we were younger. And so the body, the brain, it's like this really incredible machine. It can It's like a hybrid, right? It can go back and forth between uh, different fuel sources, carbohydrates and fats. And most of us, because we have access to sugar and, and carbohydrates 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we've never been in ketosis. Many, many people, but our hunter-gatherer ancestors did it routinely. And part one, one definition of health can be resilience to stress in the environment. And so that's what our our ancestors did: was they were resilient to those stressors in the environment. When there wasn't sugar available, they burned fat. They had an alternative. And when we remind our bodies how to do this, we give it back that metabolic flexibility. We notice that our bodies are basically this hormetic effect. Our bodies are more resilient and stronger. So, the, and that's kind of the theme of the things that I'm going to discuss of, of these things that we can do. So one is the organic ketogenic diet. Two is exercise now exercise if we could put this in a pill there would probably be just no chronic disease if not most of it would be gone eradicated right if we could get everybody to exercise regularly so with cognitive function the key here is to combine exercise, physical exercise, the way we think of it, with cognitive exercise. We call this dual task exercise or DUAL. There's a lot of literature that supports this. And we see this in Parkinson's clinics, in traumatic brain injury clinics, where you're combining cognitive and physical exercise to get new, new neurons firing, new synapses created. We're basically trying to create uh, new connections in the brain. And this happens much more efficiently when we do these two things together classic example is ballroom dancing, right? You're moving, but you also have to be paying attention to the music, to your your partner, to your steps, and you have to remember things um, in addition to getting that physical exercise. But even classes like a Zumba class, a yoga class, a Pilates class where you're cued by the instructor, this can also be a dual task exercise. I had a patient who, with her granddaughter, they would go for walks. And at first, because this is dynamic, it changes over time. You should get better at these things. So they would go for walks. And at first, they were kind of slow walks. And she would test her grandma on birthdays, important birthdays in their family. Well, as they kept walking, they would do more hills and she would ask her harder questions and they started talking about nutrition and she would test her about things that were more, more challenging as she got better and better. And so that's a fun, creative way to do it. There's lots of ways to do these dual task exercises and even just looking it up on YouTube, there's a bunch of of, um, of suggestions. So that's the second way. We have organic ketogenic diet dual task exercises cognitive and physical engagement together and then third gosh i could go in so many directions because there's so many great things with sleep and stress management and detox but meditation or prayer so a mindfulness based practice is another really really exceptional way to help with cognitive function and in particular the kirtan kriya Um, Meditation has a huge amount. There's meta-analyses showing how this is uh, positive for anyone struggling with cognitive decline, but also for people with mild cognitive impairment. And it's as good for people with mild cognitive impairment as it is for people with full-blown dementia and for their care partners who don't have any cognitive impairment. And what you see is improvements in mood, in activities of daily living. Um, This is like what helps us maintain our dignity, right? Like, can we cook for ourselves? Can we go to the bathroom on our own? Can we get dressed? But it also helps with immune function and with inflammation and with glucose uh, regulation. So it's helping with a lot of the causal level pieces that can contribute to the production of beta amyloid plaques Mm -hmm. and, and those structural changes in the brain.
0: Yeah, really good stuff right there. And I, I know you had mentioned uh, frailty and people losing weight as they're as they're getting older. Exercise is one of the best ways to maintain it. Particularly doing some resistance training. Walking is the easiest one. In fact, you know, there's research out on walking, reducing just re- pe- regular walkers, people who take take regular walks, reducing overall morbidity and mortality. Um, and so, big factor there. And walking is low hanging fruit from the perspective that's very simple to do. But if there was one, I would take resistance training because it's going to prevent that sarcopenia. It's going to increase that muscle mass, more of an impact on that insulin uh, sensitivity factor. So if you can do both of those, that's fantastic. And I love that, that what you talked about there, the dual, I think you call it the dual action, right? Dual task.
1: Yeah. Dual task.
0: Yeah. yeah. So you're, okay. you're having to think through things, right? So really forcing memory while you're getting that physical activity in.
1: Yep, and that blood flow of the brain. Yeah, with yeah. walking, you know, there was a there's an article out of the UK last December, and it was showing that about ten thousand steps a day. I think it was like nine thousand five hundred fifty eight. Yeah. You know, some exact number, but about ten thousand steps a day reduces your risk of developing dementia by half, by fifty percent. Wow. So massive reduction. If we're looking for a miracle, right, which is a, the reversal of dementia, we have to do more than walk. Right on our experience but walking is enough to reduce your risk significantly. So if you're in your 30s and 40s and maybe you have a family history of dementia and you're uh, and you're concerned about you know that being your fate later on, get walking.
0: Yeah, that's so powerful and you know I had heard that like Einstein they looked at his brain in at Stanford and they thought he had more neurons than the average person with the same brain volume and he didn't but he had like twice as many synapses, little gaps between the neurons. And one of the things that Einstein used to do was when he was thinking, he would walk, he would pace and he would just walk back and forth and he'd be thinking, right? And just contemplating, right? And sometimes he would close his eyes. That's what they said. Sometimes he would close his eyes. He would just be walking back and forth. In a sense, like he was really challenging that cerebellum, which, you know, like if somebody gets pulled over for a DUI, they've got to do like a heel to toe walk. Right. And so he was doing something similar, and it was really impacting the synaptogenesis, right there, just the impact, the overall gaps between the neurons and the flexibility of the brain. This is just a practice he was doing. And there's a lot of other people that have done this, right? That where they just, you know, it's almost like uh, an innate thing. Sometimes when we're really thinking through things, just pacing back and forth, just moving while we're thinking really helps us come up with more creative answers. Yeah,
1: no doubt. And if you can also do that in nature, if you can get outside for a walk. That option will make it even better.
0: I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you guys about Paleo Valley Bone Broth Protein Powder. Unlike most companies, which are actually creating their bone broth protein from the hides or the skin of the animal, which are unfortunately less nutrient-dense, Paleo Valley actually uses the bones, and they do a slow simmering process to extract as much of the key collagen protein as possible. Collagen protein is rich in some key amino acids, things like glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline, which are needed for healthy skin, healthy joints, a healthy gut lining, healthy muscles, just a healthy body in general. Collagen helps to reduce the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. It also helps to reduce cellulite, and it's critical for anti-aging as it may regenerate bones and it helps build muscle and support heart health. So I'm a huge fan of using collagen or bone broth protein, but I wanna make sure that mine is as pure as possible. And that's why I love Paleo Valley because they use 100% grass-fed beef bones from cows that are never fed GMO grains. And they even test for over 40 pesticides to ensure this is the purest bone broth protein on the market. It also has over three grams of glycine per serving 15 grams of total collagen protein. Now that three gram dose of glycine is key because research has shown that that helps improve sleep by lowering body temperature and boosting serotonin levels. And serotonin is a key precursor to melatonin. That's the sleep hormone. And it does this without causing daytime drowsiness. So if you have your collagen protein during the day, You're not going to get drowsy, but it will help you sleep better at night. So guys, check out paleovalley.com. Use the coupon code JOCKERS at checkout and save 15% off to get your bone broth protein. You can also go to paleovalley.com forward slash drjockers to get the Paleo Valley bone broth protein or any of the great Paleo Valley products and use the coupon code JOCKERS at checkout to save 15% off Today. Now let's talk about sleep. Sleep is critical. And I think everybody's felt the experience on their brain when they don't sleep well. And most people are trying to get good sleep, but a lot of people in our society really struggle with it. Let's talk about the impact on the brain and things people can do to help improve their sleep.
1: Yeah. So, you know, just to drive home the point of how important this is. So at night, the glymphatic system is rinsing our brain, and that it, when we're getting that good, high-quality sleep. And so it's really important not just to have the amount of time in bed—about eight hours, you know, seven to nine hours, give or take, um, depending on your like chronotype—but it, it's that quality of sleep. So you know, of course, there's the sleep hygiene things: avoiding blue light before we go to bed, avoiding stressful, like don't watch the news right before bed, and mm. learn about war. Like watch something happy and 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 relaxing it's going to put you in a rest digest and heal state not eating 3 hours before bed can be helpful so that you're not trying to digest at the same time as you're trying to rest right you want you want the body to be able to finish digesting and then get into sleep mode and then light. So yes, no blue light, but you can have some orange or warm lights in the room. Make sure that screens are off the TV, the computer, the phones, all of those you're not being exposed to, or at the very least, if you have to wear the blue light blocking glasses. And then sound, you know, some people just there's ambient sound. If you live in a city, there might be sound. So can you use either earplugs or a white noise machine so that you have you're not being awoken by those sounds? And then. um. I recommend an organic mattress, organic bedding, just so you're not being exposed to toxins, making sure your room is a non-toxic environment. And then if you have any, even the slightest tinge of a hint that you might have sleep apnea, you snore, somebody tells, your partner tells you you snore, you breathe through your mouth, you wake up feeling exhausted in the morning then I highly recommend a sleep study. And since COVID, these have actually gotten a lot easier because you can do their at-home options. So we've been using the watch pad they recently sold. So if the name is different, I'm sorry. But and it's basically this technology where you can do a sleep study at home. And this, the mm. nuance here is that it can rule in sleep apnea. It's not the hospital grade, you know, really high level sleep study, but it's a way to get a, a little more efficient and less expensive way to get a sleep study at home where you can then get a CPAP prescribed by a sleep medicine doctor. And I recommend, even if somebody tells you you have mild sleep apnea, this is essentially like mild brain damage every night. If you're not getting enough oxygen to your brain at night, especially over time, this will make, you're not going to get that glymphatic rinsing. Even one night of sleep deprivation for people in their twenties, thirties and forties, there's a measurable increase in beta amyloid plaques in the morning. And so that protein over time those misfolded proteins you can imagine if that happens if you're getting if you're sleep deprived in your 20s, 30s, 40s over decades that's going to accumulate and turn into structural changes in the brain that are gonna inhibit your cognition. And so we have to prioritize sleep no matter where we are in our lives. It's so crucially important. And then we need to get good quality sleep. So treating sleep apnea and treating it aggressively, um, if you have any hint of cognitive decline or, so I used to wait and have people tell me, oh, I snore, my partner says I snore, I wake up tired. And I would ask about symptoms. Now, if somebody has cognitive decline, I'm getting a sleep study for anyone because i've had too many patients where you know they're sweet little ladies who are thin and they nobody says they snore and sure enough they have sleep apnea Mm.
0: yeah because some of the major risk factors for sleep apnea typically people are overweight or at least a stereotype (laughs) they're overweight (laughs) insulin resistance a lot of visceral fat right and then they have a higher propensity but like you said there can be people that don't fit that demographic that are still struggling with it
1: Yes, a hundred percent. So I had two patients in the past year um, who were thin women in their 70s, 80s, and both of them had MOCA scores of eight. So a perfect MOCA score is 30. This is a, the Montreal Cognitive Assessment. This is a way we put a number on how bad someone's cognitive decline is, how bad their dementia or Alzheimer's is. And these women had an eight. This is pretty severe. Mm. This is like, you cannot live independently. You are dependent on everyone else. You're, if you can formulate sentences, you're asking the same questions over and over again. This is Alzheimer's, a MOCA score of eight. Both of them got on their CPAPs. And one of them had her MOCA score go to 16. It doubled in about six months. And the other one went up to 15 in 10 months. That, that, is, that is independence that is dignity. That is not needing a caregiver 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This is a massive difference in quality of life. And both of them, although they did other things, they got on supplements and we did some detox, we got them on a better diet. Neither of them went into ketosis, but both of them got on their CPAPs. And I think that the CPAP, treating the sleep apnea was what made the biggest difference for them. And that that is a huge reversal in cognitive decline.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And and like I said, like we were talking about, I mean, they didn't fit the normal demographic because usually it's oh. males with the sleep apnea, males that are overweight. So uh, they wouldn't have naturally thought that. So thank God you were able to, with what you've seen, you were able to say, hey, we need to really check this, found it and caught it. And so, uh, you know, just, it, it, it makes a big difference. Got to get that really good quality sleep. So huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. What else? What What else are you seeing? You know, we talked obviously about exercise. You talked about nutrition, mm-hmm. sleep. What else are you seeing that are really big factors when it comes to neurodegenerative conditions?
1: Yeah, so the way Dr. Bredesen describes it, it's like it, we often want in the conventional model, we think, okay, a diagnosis. And now everybody needs the same thing. They need the same medication because we arrived at the diagnosis. And we. I'm ready to just throw that paradigm out, right? Mm-hmm. So we, the way that people arrive at memory loss it's multifactorial, and these 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 different ways that you can arrive there. They're also not mutually exclusive. So I think of like a house plant, right? We've all had a house plant and had it die, and there could be different reasons. Like, did it get the right amount of sun? Was it too much sun? Too little sun? Was it too much water? Too little water? Where there did it have the right nutrients, or was it totally did it not have enough soil? Right? There's all these different things that can happen that can make the plant die. The brain is very similar. So what can happen? We can have glycotoxicity. We can have too much sugar and have it become basically, we can say type three Alzheimer's is is dementia where there's so much sugar arriving in the brain. It's not going into cells. It's not efficiently creating a fuel. And it's actually creating glycotoxicity where you're caramelizing the the cells. Mm -hmm. You're actually creating damage and inflammation in the brain that can lead to Alzheimer's. You can have traumatic brain injuries lead to Alzheimer's and inflammation in the brain. So there's a list, right? You can have glycotoxicity. You can have toxic toxins. Things like the air pollution. You can have sleep deprivation contribute. You can have the list is is long. And so what I recommend is that people who are interested in this, they see a Bredesen trained provider who can go through that list systematically and say, okay, are these things affecting you? And if so, how do we address them? Vascular dementia. You know whether you have clogged arteries, or you're having transient ischemic events that can lead to dementia over time as well. So we talked about diet, exercise, sleep, stress management a little bit, but detox does come up regularly. And I think it's one of these things that we can definitely do from a prevention standpoint, really simply and easily. So in the, for the most part, right, we can always go deep into detox and do all of the testing and get really specific with the binders. But just for, for, anyone listening today, like what can you do today? Open the doors and windows in your house for an hour a day. Now, if there's a fire or something, right? If the outdoor air quality is worse than indoor air quality, don't do that. But for the most part, indoor air quality is poorer than outdoor air quality. And this is because flooring and furniture and textiles and paints, they all off gas and they're contained in the house. But if we can open the doors and windows, we can get that fresh air in and reduce the toxic burden in the home. Now, Walter Crinian, a, a, a teacher of mine, he would say the solution to pollution is dilution, right? So we want to get that polluted, relatively polluted indoor air quality uh, diluted by the outdoor air. So weather permitting, <laughs> open your doors and windows for an hour a day. It's just a habit to get into. And then the other habit to, to do that's totally free is take your shoes off at the door. So there's all those petrochemicals on the sidewalks and in the parking lots that we walk through and the the glyphosate, the roundup that gets sprayed and on the sidewalk to keep the plants from growing in between the cracks. Take your shoes off and don't track that stuff into the house Mm. because what happens, undoubtedly, is that we're barefoot sometimes and wearing shoes other times and then it gets on our feet and we're absorbing it and it doesn't rain inside, right? Hopefully we're cleaning and vacuuming and mopping and stuff but it doesn't rain inside. So outside that stuff washes away and inside it accumulates. And so we wanna make sure that we're not absorbing it and we're not tracking it around and we're not putting it in our beds and then absorbing even more of it. And so if you're in Canada or somewhere really cold, have indoor shoes and outdoor shoes and keep them separate. Wear the outdoor shoes outside and the indoor shoes inside. And those two things alone will reduce your toxic exposure in the home significantly. there's so much more we could go into in terms of toxins, but I'm curious if anything's coming up on your end.
0: Well, I think that's some really great low-hanging fruit that people can focus in on. Obviously, getting an air purifier, I think, can can make a real difference. Water filtration Mm -hmm. is big. A lot of people are drinking water with chlorine fluoride disinfectant byproducts heavy metals pharmaceuticals now you know they're finding that people are putting in the toilet bowl and flushing down the toilet so statin drugs things like that that people are antibiotics that people are consuming when they're drinking typical tap water so get a good water filtration system uh, at least a good carbon filter you got you got what do you have right there I'm drinking Mountain Mountain Valley.
1: So Mountain Valley is the one. So spring water, my preference is spring water. And we could have a long conversation about water. I'm in San Diego, which is... It's like some of the worst water in the country. Mm -hmm. We are at the end of the river and there are agrochemicals, all the agricultural stuff, all the military bases around us. There's a huge amount of contaminants. And then in warmer climates, they use chloramine instead of chlorine. And chloramine, the reason they use it is because it doesn't evaporate. So it's harder to Mm -hmm. get rid of. And you can't get rid of it through reverse osmosis. Mm -hmm. You can't get rid of the the perchlorate that they use on the military bases. It doesn't come out with RO. And so it's quite a chore for us. We put a lot of effort into figuring out how to get good clean water in San Diego. And
0: how about distilled water? Does it come out? So
1: then you uh, well if you distill it, there's nothing but water in it, but then you don't have any of the minerals and a lot of distilled add back water. A little salt. You add back salt. Yeah. Yeah. That's in, that's really important with both RO and distilled mm-hmm. water. You have to add back salt. So that's like a classic medical. You probably had it, the medical school exam question yeah. of like this guy is drinking completely distilled water. And his heart, basically, it'll put your muscles at risk in putting your heart. So adding back minerals is super crucial, especially with osteoporosis. You've got to have those minerals. But RO water here in San Diego does not get rid of everything. Mm. Yeah, Um, interesting. Not even close.
0: Yep. And I saw also that you're drinking out of a glass cup, which I think is really important. Obviously, some people, you know, when we're traveling, flying on a plane, you know, we got to drink what we can, but I try to always control, you know, obviously at home, I have a water filtration system. I'm always drinking out of glass or or mugs if I'm having like a warm beverage. Mm-hmm. Um, stainless steel, you know, is 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 okay. It's it's not quite as good as glass, but that that will work too. We try to minimize your exposure to plastic and the phthalates and the different forever chemicals that are in there. More we can minimize our exposure there, the better off we are.
1: Agreed. Yeah. Glass, plastic, or, or glass, stainless or ceramic yeah. is what yeah, we recommend yeah. as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so all of those things are things that we can really do that will impact our overall toxic load. And the lower our toxic load, the less inflammation we're going to have in our system, the better we're going to be able to adapt to the stressors in our environment and the better our brain health is going to be.
1: Yeah. The way Dr. Bredesen describes it, I love this analogy because it, it just drives it home so well. It's if you think of your brain as a country, like my brain is done. if you are stuck <laughs> my in, brain-istan, dis- like in my brain is right? <laughs> If you are in attacker defend mode, right, if you are fighting off infections, if you are defending against toxins, you don't have the capacity to mm. build new neurons and synapses the way Einstein did, right? If you're yeah. at war, if you're a country at war, if you're fighting off an attacker, you do not have, you should not be building roads in schools because they might get bombed. You don't have the resources to maintain them. So if we're attacking and defending against toxins, this requires extra fuel, extra energy, right? We're having to put resource into that. We don't have the resource to create new neurons and new synapses. And so we want to, that's that's why I, I almost like finding toxins in my patients because I'm like, okay, great. We have a project, we can get it done, and then we're done. We can check that box and move on. on. And so, yes, you know, if you're younger, if you're in prevention mode, just prevent the exposure. And that's 75% of environmental medicine is stopping the exposures. Drink the good water. Stop, you know, eating conventional food that's sprayed with Roundup and, and glyphosate eat and drink out of the, the right things because the vast majority of it comes to our mouths. There can be other exposures like a, a moldy building, whether at work or at school or at home. But if we can reduce the exposure, that's a huge component of it. And then we have resource allocation. Now we now we have extra that we can spend building the new, not just having to to defend and attack, but we can actually heal and rebuild.
0: Yeah, that's a great analogy. And, you know, it's really encouraging is that you're actually you're seeing results? You're seeing people that are coming in with cognitive decline that are getting better in the medical world. Their whole goal is slow the progression. Hey, if we can just kind of keep it where it's at, slow it from getting worse, you know, just minimize it getting worse, then that's a success in the medical world. But you're actually seeing people progress in it and get better. Um, you know, like you were mentioning the MOCUS scores. How, how consistently are you seeing people getting better as they go through your program?
1: Great question. And I had so many patients asking me this question a handful of years ago, and I didn't know the answer. So um, I was in a super fortunate position where we we had a grant to do a clinical trial. And so we started that in 2020, and we finished collecting data in 2022. And we just published the results in uh, August of 2023 in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. What we did was we took a cohort of participants with MOCA scores between 12 and 23. So this is measurable cognitive impairment. So again, a perfect score on a MOCA is a 30 and normal is 26 and above. So these participants had MOCA scores of 12 to 23, mild to moderate cognitive impairment that's measurable. And we also we also use the Cambridge Brain Sciences as another uh, research validated tool to, to measure the cognitive impairment. And we so we had 23 participants do an uh, intensive six month intervention and 17 of them improved. So this is about 74% of our participants had an improvement after six months of intervention. So not everyone, but the majority.
0: Three quarters, yeah, so that's that's amazing. Yeah, Yeah. really great stuff.
1: And I'll compare that, if, you, if we have another minute, to Dr. Bredesen, his group um, with Kat Toops leading that, she was the lead author on the paper that was published also in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease in July of 2022, if you wanna look it up. They had 25 participants complete and sick, uh, excuse me, they had 25 participants complete a nine-month intervention, so three months longer in terms of intervention than us, and their participants had MOCA scores down to 19. So everybody had some degree of cognitive impairment, but it wasn't as severe as what we were measuring. And they had 84% of their participants get better. So less severe disease, longer intervention, but 84% of participants, like the majority of participants with MOCA scores 12 and above get better.
0: Yeah, wonderful and, and so encouraging. And so you're doing great work. Where can people find out more about you and, and the work that you're doing?
1: Yeah, drheather sandison.com is the best way to find me. Um we've got a, a newsletter there that you're welcome to sign up for. We've got uh great tips about diet, about community. we've got communication guides, we've got all kinds of guides that can help um you put this into practice. And I'll have a book out with HarperCollins Collins in June of 2024. So be on the lookout for that if you need additional support.
0: Great. I'm excited to see your book and uh, and see all the all the great work that you're putting into that. So thanks again, Dr. Sanderson.
1: David, it's such a pleasure to be here with you. I couldn't I thank you enough for having me.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, we'll see you soon. And listeners out there, go check her out, drheathersanderson.com. She's doing wonderful work. So go support her. All right. Be blessed.